about to be a completely unreliable asshole. Hello, Tim. Hello, Ryan. How ye be? I'm fair. Just fair. Do you think you could even attempt to do the Robert Pattinson accent? Oh my god. It's like a weird lobster. Lobster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kennedy sort of thing going on. <laughs> Just, I wanted to hear you try. I don't even know, man. It's so ridiculous. Hello, everyone. Hello. That's not, not Tim. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> Hello, everyone else who may be listening. Welcome to episode 63 of Dismembering Horror, the podcast show where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and myself, Tim Aslan, we dismember a horror film every week. And what does it mean to dismember a horror film? Just pull that, pull that shit right apart. Yep. We pull it out of a hat or go see a new movie in theaters. And then we, we pull it apart. As Tim said, we talk about what worked, what did not work, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy. And we hope, we hope to just fill in the gaps of knowledge of things we haven't seen, things that people tell us we should see. Because, uh, well, you know, there's a lot of movies out there, but picking a genre can help sometimes. <laughs> what a genre to pick <laughs> yep yep and tim this is our first episode since we've watched all four psycho movies it's true i gotta like now that it's you know we're kind of separated from it a little bit do you have any big takeaways or in summation thoughts i suppose man um mostly just that it's i think it's a cool reality that you end up really liking this character yeah even though he's killing people mm -hmm. and that there's that circular sort of aspect to the movies yeah <laughs> like that was cool wait you would you mean uh that you could kind of watch it in sequence or i mean you could watch it continuously forever because right. the end is the beginning that was our big thing of our yeah. thing of note from that was our own thing of note yeah yeah the last episode it's good yeah i think it could be healthy to and interesting to to be rooting for someone who murders people because <laughs> well, is he actually right it's norma not norman that's right and there's a different thing where it's like you're not rooting... He's not killing people who deserve it necessarily. No. So it's not like you're rooting for... Sorry, yeah, that sounded right. It's like I'm not rooting... We're not rooting for him to kill people. We're just rooting for him to not kill people to be better. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, the whole thing is cool. Yeah. Worth, worth watching multiple Great. times. So you're glad we did it? Yeah. All right. And I'll be excited to maybe cover another series next mm. Halloween season. What could it be? Today, though, <laughs> we got a lot to cover, Tim. Oh, my God. We got to travel to an island, <clears throat> a far off, a far off island from here at the sunny, sunny West Coast, indeed. Travel back to the 1890s. Yeah. Because we traveled to the Arclight <laughs> to see, <laughs> to see the lighthouse. And you saw it. Again, because... I know, yeah. Okay. Circumstantially, I'll explain. Yeah. I was working a job, a production job, and 
the day of the actual production was the day that we were going to see the movie. So when I got off of, you know, a very crazy week, I met Ryan at the theater and I was super, super exhausted. And I was trying really hard to concentrate to watch this movie. And then I started getting text messages and phone calls from the production because we still had stuff to do the next day. And I had to leave the theater <laughs> and deal with it. And then I came back in and tried to catch what I could catch from the aisle, but I was still getting text messages. The whole thing was just a fucking shit show. So I basically didn't see, I'd say about maybe 10% of the movie, but like critical stuff, including the last maybe two minutes of the movie. I just, it breaks my heart. Yeah. But then luckily the Americana saved the day, right? Yes, so I then found time last night. I was able to go to a 8.55 showing <laughs> at the Americana in Glendale and watch it again with full attention. I'm jealous. And yeah, it was pretty sweet. Cool. I wish I could So I got see. to see everything. And, and very much so what I missed was so critical. <laughs> <laughs> like... I was like, holy fucking, that, yeah, I needed to see that. So we could not be speaking now about it without last night's re-watching. And I, I would have loved to see it again, I'll get into, I mean, all the reasons why. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I just saw just that one, just one time. <laughs> but it is a, de a dense film, and I, oh, I wanted to be able really to talk is. about it thoroughly. So I've I've done as much outside research as I could. <laughs> but uh, Tim, you'll help provide uh, maybe some more specifics as we get into it. It's, there's a lot. There's a lot that has nothing to do with the movie or the story. Or the story. <laughs> it has to do with the movie, obviously. Wait, what? I'll explain. Okay. <laughs> well, let's watch the trailer first. <laughs> okay, cool. So then we'll get into it. All right, here. You already guessed we already said it. We watched The Lighthouse. Tell me, what's a timber man want with being a wiki? Just looking to earn a living. It's like any man. Starting new, on the run. Keeping secrets, are you? No, sir. Why just spill your beans? Foghorn just puts me right back in it, you know? Mmm. <laughs> yeah, it's... God. It's like a kaiju. I would not enjoy that. <laughs> you would not enjoy the experience of the two gentlemen <laughs> shared in this film? No. <laughs> you know what I, I don't... I, I lived on uh, Martha's Vineyard uh, for a few summers when I was, like, in and just out of college. And Doing I, I acapella, probably, yeah, right? probably talked about it before, but um, 
and it's it's great. There's so much cool stuff about that life and like being on an island and like New England and all of that stuff. But the dampness, that damp thing, it it's it's nostalgic and it's it's cool to a certain degree. But it does get to you. It get at least it gets to me. Like there's a point where you go, I need it to be fucking dry. <laughs> And sometimes it happens, right? Like during the summer in particular, but it's like sometimes reasons... it happens. You mean a whole nother season? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, dude, there were there was one summer that it rained quite a lot, and it was just it. Everything is soaked and damp, and like got that wet wood thing yep. going on, and it it can get to you. It's a, it can get a little. Uh, so unnerving. Th- this is a movie about that. I kept thinking about it when I was watching it the second time. I was just like, oh, fuck, it's so damn. It's like literally raining like inside of the house. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I would hate that so much. Well, can you segue that into an in-review summary to rate it? Sure. Or, sorry, not in-review summary. In-review. A rating, rating. review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oof. I think I would. Per our rating system, would you... Avoid it, stream it, rent it, or buy it. What would you tell yourself to do, Tim? As oh, of now, man. which again, I just to, to say again, I always got to put this clarifier on when we go see the new films. Like it stinks having to rate these new movies we just watched. Like I think so many of the ones I've changed. I've yeah. they've only grown on me. Yeah, I think that I it's I don't know. There's a, there's something to movies like this that. I kind of felt, I mean, not that these are similar movies at all, but I kind of felt the same way about Hereditary where I was like, it's it's affecting in such a way that I'm like, I'm not really sure I want that. I'll, go, I'll see it again, but do I want to own it? But then I watched Hereditary again like months later and I was like, oh shit, yeah. So I feel like that probably will be the case w- with this. Um, so... Does that mean that I'm a? Can I say, <laughs> like preemptively, that I won't, I'm gonna I'm gonna want to buy it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, shit. I already saw it twice for the most part. Uh, Two point nine times. No, one point nine times. Um, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm gonna say buy it because of some of the stuff I'll get into. Um, but in particular the style and the style referencing that I think is in there of the visuals. Cool. That's what's, yeah, put it over the top for you. Yeah. Awesome. Because I feel like given enough time, I could probably go do a bunch of research, like hard deep dive research and find the, the like filmic references that are being at least touched upon in this. Yeah. Which I think would be really fun, but very intense of a thing to do. (laughs) Well, yeah. Robert Eggers is a huge, huge Bergman, Ingrid Bergman. Shocking. So so if you're looking for any ancillary research, I can start you off there. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Right. Um, Okay. I got to agree, Tim. Yeah. And it was that same buy it. Because I have that same experience that I do with a lot of things where they're new and they come out and I'm almost just kind of so like just kind of shook. Like when we stepped out of the movie, it felt kind of like I'm trying to think of an example like 
if you just saw like a UFO or a murder <laughs> or something happen and then like you have to then you find yourself 10 minutes later like at your aunt's birthday party you know and you're just kind of yeah like, oh yeah things are good yeah you know and it's like oh yeah and you're you know we found ourselves yeah. just walking out into hollywood and it's right. just oh okay and it feels weird to go like i need to catch my breath here because you're fine but you there are times when it was such an experience you were having but then at the same time it was all just so like different and new and you couldn't understand half the dialogue that you just like feel yeah. like you're figuring it out at the same time there is a lot that gets caught the second time you watch it mm -hmm. i mean there's a bunch of language shit where i was like oh right gotcha cool i, I got I, I use this as a frame of reference um I've used as a frame of reference before talking about films like Mandy and stuff. But mm. as far as my research into the psychedelic experience and that it's been a, it's a, it's a fascinating field, I think. And um, since it's something that's kind of becoming more and more mainstream, I think there's a lot of like, when you're talking about films nowadays and what they're doing and how they're like putting us into uncomfortable places, I kind of, my mind always goes there, but it seemed like, yeah, kind of what I've, what I've heard again in the experience is like where you're, you're on the line of like the cliff of letting go or mm. staying or staying where you are. <laughs> and that, that movie kind of, you know, reminded me, uh, in theory of that, <laughs> that, uh, that being on the edge and just being like, there's a spell happening yeah. and you kind of just get taken away to this scary far off place but you know you're in your, you know you're there in a seat, so you're fine. I mean, but at the same time, you're something's, something else is going on. Yeah, I think for me at least, that's the point. Yeah, like why right go? That's why you go or why you watch movies for me. Right, and is to is to get closer to that place. Yeah, well, let's okay. It's I feel like I could stay broad, but maybe let's stay broad when we moved into what worked or whatever, because there's more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so let's rather than go so on here. Let's, should we do, give a... But we got to get the summary out of the way. <sighs> okay, so a summary. I mean, okay. I can do this. Okay, since I just watched it 12 hours ago. No, a little more than 12 hours ago. Okay. Uh, a guy on a boat gets dropped off on an island to work the lighthouse as the second to the old dude who works the lighthouse all the time. Right. He's there for a month. That's I'm, his I'm confused thing. by that because at the beginning we see the two of them walking in there, but then we see another two people leaving. I know. That's just like the, that's the driver so, of the boat, huh? It, the thought occurred to me after the fact to pay close attention to that specific moment, but what I think is happening is that uh, uh, Ephraim, let's call him Ephraim, who's Robert Pattinson, and, and Ephraim Winslow, right? And then let's call um, Will Will Defoe's Thomas Defoe. Wake. Yeah, even though he calls himself Wick, it's with the accent, right. which is. Thomas Wick. Purposeful, Wick. obviously, because he's a wiki, right? The person who lights the lamp. Anyway, so to your point, yes, I think what we're seeing is, is Ephraim and just like the inspector guy, 
show up. Like we see a shot of the two of them on the boat before they get off. Mm -hmm. And then we see two guys carrying or yeah, two guys carrying stuff away from the lighthouse and, and Ephraim and another guy going to the lighthouse. And then we see Ephraim and Thomas standing together, watching the boat go away. Mm -hmm. So it is confusing because we hadn't quite established who's who yet. And it makes you think that the two guys that just arrived are Thomas and Ephraim, Mm -hmm. but it's not. Got it. (laughs) It's, it's Ephraim showing up, meeting Thomas and them watching the boat go away while the, the inspector who came with Ephraim? Okay, and got it. The, and, the, the, and the other second leave, I guess. What's the all right? Ugh. And then they, <laughs> they both of them go insane. Well, so the the so then yeah, they're yeah. The film is that that they're there for a month, and on the day before Ephraim is allowed to leave, like he's going to get his boat there, he fucking kills a seagull, and that changes the wind. And a nor'easter comes and basically isolates them there in perpetuity until whatever, um, because you're not supposed to fucking kill a, a seabird because it's bad luck. The souls of the sailors right. exist, in and them. so from that point on, it's just a we devolve into kind of madness. And the, yeah, we both they both have an obsession with the actual like light in the mm-hmm. lighthouse, yep. the Fresnel lens. And um, they they're, they're like both like masturbating separately and kind of <laughs> right. like have their alone time and becoming suspicious of each other. And uh, there's Will- a lot of folklore that's influencing how they view what's going that on. Thomas Wake Willem Dafoe is uh, trying to keep it away from the light away from Ephraim Winslow, o- or maybe rather trying to keep it to himself. Yes, trying to for keep- himself. Right, exactly. That's a debatable. And it um, also seems like Ephraim's or sorry, Thomas Wake, Willem Dafoe is deliberately confusing and trying to make almost and go. go he is most definitely doing that very fucking purposely I, no, in no, his face. Absolutely. I guess <laughs> I phrased that wrong. My yeah. my the hesitation meant I'm, I was kind of like, and isn't he also going insane? Like um, Willem I, Dafoe on his own? Yeah. I like, think you could argue that he already is. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. That's but that, that was yeah, my take on it. Yeah, there's some. I mean, it's definitely got some gray I feel area. Like to that, it, that so. was this whole movie for me is like Willem Dafoe, Thomas Wake is someone who's like, I'm already insane, but whatever because that's that's just who I'm, and you know what? I'm just gonna have fun with it and bring everyone else into my world. Yeah. Well, and what you kind of expect from the guy who lives by himself, attending a light or tending right. to a lighthouse, you know, <laughs> right? Like. He's he's got to be seventy, <laughs> and right? um, while I think Maybe sixty, the interesting thing, just as far as the story progressing too, is like tensions are increasing, but also they're becoming closer. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, we should get into it because right. I could just keep going on and on. Great. All right. Yeah, that's enough. All right, let's get into our first section. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? <laughs> I think to that point that you're saying the the weaving of their relationship is incredibly like specific 
and intense and brilliant because yeah. of what you've just said. They are almost constantly at odds with each other and yet becoming closer and closer and closer. And I think part of that is sort of the funneling of the, the, what's making them close to each other is funneling toward madness. Yeah. And it's, but also what's keeping them apart is this like grappling with the things that their personal points of view. Right. Those are the, where the conflict comes from because Ephraim has one point of view about what he deserves. Mm-hmm. And Thomas has another point of view about his worldview, just the way the world is and should stay. Yep. Should stay. Exactly. Very like, do not waver from this. Yeah. And so that, I mean, holy fuck. Well, Thomas. That, that, that's just from a broad kind of conceptual point of view. There's so much you could peel apart or peel back from that and yeah. like see layer upon layer of how that the implication of that in broad sort of senses towards the world that we live in right or toward literature or toward just basic character but like it's really really kind of layered and, and endless well what's so that that's an amazing this i guess to start from <laughs> kind of like the outermost layer what i observed kind of thomas i think willem dafoe was doing to robert pattinson ephraim is he's he sees a sort of like defensiveness, guardedness that Robert Pattinson has. No, I won't drink. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm obviously like he knows he's keeping some kind of secret. And we, yeah. we learn that he's actually like lying about his name and his backstory. Right, right. Uh, Robert Pattinson is. So uh, that that's what I saw sort of the maybe some of the driving of that contention coming mm-hmm. from. But if he wanted to pick a kind of, I think a scene to maybe pull that apart some bit more that like really did that, that sort of was emblematic in a lot of ways of that whole relationship. And the, the, how we can dig into it was when they got drunk and they like almost kissed yeah. and then they just immediately went into fighting or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like if, you know, to look at this from a sort of picking apart masculinity standpoint sure. and all that. Um, well, and, and Tom, Thomas keeps saying things like, how did somebody so pretty like you end up here? Like those big, those big, beautiful eyes <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. Like he, I'm not using the exact language, but he says these things about, you know, about Ephraim a bunch. Yeah. And like, even just from a very non-metaphorical, non-like thematic point of view, that's what would happen, right? Like you get a dude alone long enough, like, and then get somebody young and attractive in the room. They're going to comment on it at least. Yep. They're going to have an opinion on it at least. And loneliness is a real fucking thing. Right. So like the battle of like, again, like what we just said, the battle between them being at conflict and them getting closer together can be applied to this scenario, right? Yeah. Like they need to be close to each other because that's what humans do. Well, it's especially that, in this circumstance, right. but there is context that makes them want to fight with each other. Yeah. Well, the, the con- <laughs> I'm going to take a drink folk. Every time I say this word, this episode, Uh-oh. <laughs> the existential, horror of it all where you said that situation that situation is at this point in the movie i'm pretty sure it's when they and we have no idea like how long they've been there so it is essentially that that whole thing that existential crisis of 
what do you do when you're trapped in the same space with one other person for eternity? You know? Yeah. And it's like them and it's just sort of, yeah. And that, that's that kind of question in place of like sexual desire. What would, what would Which those two lot, people right. do in that situation? Yeah. And, um, but at the same time, they, they still are, they still have, context of the room in the space and mm -hmm. they know they got to keep this lighthouse lit so it's like oh but i still we still got a job to do right. it's like that that's that thread of sanity they're holding on to yeah and and just the context of the time yeah right like it's it's late 1800s like that's its own specific time in in the world by um or in history I got I got a handful of notes here just on the kind of horror it is, and again stemming from that's good. like super existential exploration of you know confronted with the meaningless of life is how I I guess I mean by that, but um, a lot of it has to do with I think and why this is I think a contemporary film in a lot of ways or contemporary horror as far as this existential crisis it really puts like a spotlight and microscope on the idea of like to. Ex the point of existence is to commit yourself to drudgery of sort of w <laughs> yeah. work that, you know, humans maybe aren't meant to do in a sort of um, evolved society. And, yeah. Well, so, and, and to that point, yeah. Wick, uh, Wake, Thomas Wake, is the representation of, in this particular case, he really represents the old school of thought yeah. uh, that that is the life that is your purpose in life right he's obsessed with that idea right. of, of purpose right even though he doesn't himself necessarily anymore like adhere to it he's forcing it upon the next generation and winslow is he's more like going from job to job and you, i felt like he was almost more the sort of struggling artist too. Dude. Did, he didn't he draw or write or something or uh... want to do that he reads and right. that's that's commented on oh it didn't take you for much of a reader kind of thing you know <laughs> right. it's like apparently that wasn't a thing and he reads quite a bit okay. in the first half of the movie and i think why for, that for pleasure why that um why those two sides are so contentious is because they're is because there's always truth in both but i think like where where and this is where i think we're at a crossroads societally evolutionarily too as automations happening mm. more and more mm -hmm. yada yada our you know our meaning of work is having to evolve and blah 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 but that obsession with purpose like i think that's that's meaningful as far as that is how we can sort of almost feel like we found meaning in life right. but it is only truly there when we're also hitting that triumvirate of do we do we enjoy doing this and is it of any value to the world so that i think is a huge factor in why this movie takes place at a lighthouse yeah the lighthouse the purpose of a lighthouse is for the outside world to be able to find where they are mm -hmm. right and if nobody can find where you are the purpose of the lighthouse ceases to exist and therefore you maintaining it right ceases to have any meaning or impact on the world but yeah. that this idea of like, got to maintain it, got to just keep grinding, doing the thing. But like, it, it makes it's sense. pointless right. if nobody's receiving the thing, if you don't have the interaction <laughs> with 
what the thing is meant to accomplish. But it's like, I get it at the same time. Cause you know, I'm, I'm now, you know, arguing against almost what I just said is because yeah. <laughs> at the time, historically though, in, in, in history and sometimes what work is, it's just a matter of like for the betterment of all of mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. for, so these boats can see to get the food to where it needs to go, this lighthouse right. has to exist. So it is like a cause you're giving yourself over to, but I don't see it as like where humans should aspire to, I guess. I, I agree. This is commented on in the movie a number of times. Mm-hmm. So like when Ephraim is is held to task for not cleaning the in, the floor of the house – you know, and Thomas is just flipping out on him and being like, if, you know, if I want you to pull up every board and spit shine every nail and put them back together and then do it all over again, like you will because I fucking said so. <laughs> and that's the way it is. That's the that's the worst end of the spectrum of what we're talking about, <laughs> Yeah, where it's like you're just doing it because I said so. The other end that that. Ephraim comments on is when he's paint he's whitewashing the actual lighthouse and um Thomas is sort of like make sure you get it nice and white so everybody can see it and and so that that in in, in itself is true that's what you do that for and that does serve a purpose but even in doing that Ephraim is like nobody's gonna fucking see it <laughs> yeah because we're in the middle of fucking nowhere and so he's kind of falling onto the wrong side of of his point of view, like he's falling too far into what you're saying. It's like, there is a point and it does serve a purpose. You gotta, you know, you gotta find the balance of why you do the work for that purpose. And when it's just monotonous bullshit work and Ephraim in this moment can't distinguish the two. He just feels like all he's being asked to do is bullshit work. It's just busy work to please Thomas because he, has this other world view that is just like put his fucking foot, the boot on the neck of this kid. And so there's a lot of that grayness of like who feels where at what time based on what actual is what is actually serving the greater good and what is just them being assholes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But you can see, I think, a big part of why um, Thomas, Willem Dafoe's character is so rigid in that mentality is because he has combined that drudgery. It's like what you do in the face of that drudgery is like, you need to find uh, some sort of uh, it's it like, it forces you almost to find like, for lack of a better word, God or the inexplicable right. Right. in, in something, you know, it's, it's, it's like, that's what, that's what the Fresnel lamp is and whatever yeah. they, they see inside of it enlightenment right yeah in light exactly in quotations like right a, a higher power that's beyond right. explanation that's, that's also why you pick a lighthouse <laughs> yeah right? it's like the metaphor is there um it's, it's literal almost but i can see too i think as um and again take a drink existential way that fear of root it's about fear of routine right and and i think with a root Okay, you know, I've I've talked to you off air. I like the idea of the the, the psychological term uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Oh yeah, do you remember yeah. like take care of your base needs first, and then at the very top is of of reaching you know where, where we can achieve to be ideally. Taking care of base needs is a sort of what I said. Like, what is your what is it more an offering or purpose once you're uh-huh. taking care of yourself? 
But even when you take care of those base needs and reach that level, let's say you have everything you need. And now it's just coming down to getting down to do the work, even though it brings enjoyment, there also is a drudgery to it, like a routine. And I think that's so hard sometimes to fall into because within that is a sort of acceptance of, of your mortality in a way, because Mm -hmm. it says this is it. This is all I can do. Like whatever sort of, nagging feelings I have or whatever. That's just a part of the human experience. So this is, uh, now I just have to accept that. And you know, there's nothing else I can do. Here's my purpose time to set to work. Well, and there's two, I think there's sort of two sides to that coin. Well, sorry. And just just to make the point, sorry, stay on on that. But I I, I meant to end that with saying, um, that is just really interesting to me because that's like an almost a fear we have of reaching the top of like having oh yeah that's that's the head trip for me that i love a lot are we going to be able to look into the light and not fall backwards down the fucking lighthouse (laughs) yeah that's scary because i think a lot of people think the answer is no yeah and we don't know because we generally don't like that's not an actual like it's the it's like what we're striving for but there's no end there is no actual like right end moment and like from and then that then you're going through that and just because this is the kind of work i'm doing right now you just kind of have to turn back to the computer and go well i guess i'm just going to keep sorting this footage and editing this footage whatever i'm working on yeah i think that i think there's an aspect of this there's two sides of this which are explored routine without reward is sort of where Ephraim's coming from. He's like, that is not any way to live. And he's been jumping from job to job looking for more reward to kind of justify the routine. Thomas is like, the routine is the reward that that scrub, like swabbing and having it be clean and pristine is the reward. I mean, that honestly, it's like, that, that is like the, the, the Buddhist spiritual kind of sure. Taoist that, that, that is it. Like I know finding, finding <laughs> that's the, that's joy in the present. But that's Ephraim the, is, I think Ephraim is character is really fighting against yeah. that where he's, he's, you know, this is kind of a typical younger generation, you know, meant like, place to be in your mentality that you grow into learning that there is reward just in the act of the routine. Yeah. And he's not there. All he can see is the, you know, the the shiny thing at the top of the of the tower. Yeah. And go, well, what I want to know what that is. And that's a very young man sort of mentality. Mm-hmm. So you do have this separation. Um, it's like chasing the high, but it's. Yeah. No, you got to pay attention to what you're doing. But but I think the movie is so good at showing the the pitfalls of going too far in either of those directions. Mm-hmm. And then like the hypocrisy around both of those attitudes that these two characters exhibit. <laughs> like constantly. <laughs> <laughs> like when? Let's let's talk about a moment. Uh I mean just Thomas being such a fucking hard, like hard nose for all of this, this shit work, so to speak. And then being so demanding about what he does, what his role is. He mans the light. He's the only one who has access to it, that it's the most important job there. And then when he's up there, 
he's just jerking off. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. He's just fucking jerking off or like pulling his clothes off and, you know, standing up in the right, light. You know, he's as, just as, he's just being a, f- you know, as much as he purports to maybe have that belief. I mean, you can have that belief, but then at the same time, it's like he's just still just chasing his own high too. Yeah. it's like that's. That's his end of the day beer drink is go up, get naked, whack off to the light. Yeah. And, and the, the, there's some interesting stuff just to me in, in the kind of the hierarchy and Western hierarchy of, um, authority and that like, oh, well, I've earned my station and therefore I don't have to do anything anymore. And my job is really just to tell you what to do. Right. I think I, I, I've never done well with that. Like, it's not my, I don't particularly like it. Like when I'm in charge of a thing, I'm still, I actually got yelled at by our key, uh, our key grip on the last set because I kept trying to do things like help move things or like go get a thing that somebody needed. And the key grip finally was like, dude, you're the director. You don't, you don't do that. We do that. We work for you. It it it's not a natural state. I've for me. never had the pleasure of working with a crew like that, dude. It was. I mean, so it I should, blew I should my say, mind when he say, said that. I was like, whoa. I should say size crew, maybe. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But or yeah, it, I've it's, also said not. Great it's PAs. not in my personal sort of like yeah uh, makeup to not want to be a part of the work. It's so, it's so God, that's that's but how I would do it if I was a, lot a PA. Of people, there's a lot of people who fucking believe that idea. I pay I quote unquote paid my dues, now I don't have to lift a finger. And I fundamentally do not like that attitude. I think it breeds contempt and resentment and it's not a good look for any sort of business or I mean, whatever. this makes me want to just, you know, as I already <laughs> talked to you on. about. <laughs> no, 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 it makes me want to like just hire the crew you had. Because honestly, you should. When, They're I've, amazing. when I've PA'd on things, I'm like, like, yeah, dude, like if I'm talking to you as, as your PA, I'd be like, yeah, you know what? I totally feel you because I feel the same way. But listen, like if the movie's just that much better because you have that much more thought space instead of thinking right. about moving this thing across right. the room, like... You know, that's that's valid. Yeah. And to, and what makes it then what takes away that guilt that like, you know, I'll have two like you is when you have PS like, no, this is my job. Like, right. Like, dude, this yeah. is People, and I'm happy to do it. That's right. No. And that's really important. But keeping that. So the movie that we're talking about <laughs> basically does the opposite. It it builds that that divide between authority and and uh, subservient, you know, worker. Yeah. And that was a very big deal at that time in the world, right? Like automation uh, or industrialization and having like, you know, it's metropolis, right? You have the, the, the hordes of workers just doing this bullshit, monotonous shit over and over and over again, and like punching their shift card and leaving. And like that, that industrial time was... I mean, this movie is indicative of that time. I mean, it takes place in that time, right? So it's there's a, I don't mean the time of Metropolis, but the, what <laughs> yeah. Metropolis when it was made and what it was talking about is sort of, you know, I'm sad. It reminds me of a video I just saw today of of workers, you know, like in China or somewhere, but it can be anywhere. Mm. They were just they were just putting socks on like a metal 
uh, like expander thing, like for whatever part of the process that is something that could totally be automated. And everyone, they were just like leaning on one arm with their shoulder down, just with one hand, just taking a sock and putting it on this thing, taking a sock, putting it on this thing. And it's like, yeah, there is like, yes, that is a true thing. Like Willem Dafoe's character, Thomas is saying like, yes, you can take pride in work, but it, that can that that toil that he's speaking of like you can only really take pride in it when either it's a must for society or there's a new purpose behind it or the reward is the shared experience of making a thing which yeah. i think is why filmmaking is so rewarding right that, right what's the end goal and that's the difference between working on a film that's like a bad film maybe that's only being made to make money or something that's aspiring for more. Yeah. Like you, you feel that in the execution and what you're all doing there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, shit. And like this very movie (laughs) to get meta is like, you know, we'll, we'll get into the things of note, the actual production of it, but Mm -hmm. it's like, no, that you just got to throw yourself into it. So to speak, (laughs) the, um, the wares. Okay. So the, to stay broad, but shift broadly, Mm -hmm. because we talked about, can take a drink that 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 existential horror yeah of it um then have the whole other side of why this movie is so effective as a horror movie to me was the ambiguity of of the situation is this real is mm-hmm. this is this not real um are we trapped in some sort of nightmare like um there is so much going on in the movie like i it's it's Just even trying to sort of collect your thoughts and go, okay, where do we start with any topic is is really hard. (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess still, you know, I'm just speaking to my experience here as far as these these broader, how it affected me. But I realized, um, well, it was cool. It sort of reminded me like of, I was trying to think of other movies that affected me this way as far as where it felt like, you were almost sort of trapped in nightmare where it it hit you on this kind of really like deep, deep, deep emotional level that can only kind of come from what I call a forced illogic, you know, where it's, it's beating you with this quick Mm -hmm. trying to make sense of it. Right. Sure. (laughs) And, uh, these are some of my favorite movies now, but like a recent one that reminded me of was mother exclamation Uh point at the end, then Mulholland drive. Uh And then one of our new favorites, Possession. Oh, yeah. Those are the three. Yeah. I'm sure there's plenty more, and they'll all Certainly. be my new favorite films if I haven't seen them. But, uh, yeah, that's what I came up with as that helps with any kind of comparison. But then more is as far as the um, the ambiguity of the situation. Like, for, you know, example, the mermaid and the, any of the, like, the supernatural stuff. The presence of the mermaid and, like seeing the head in the cage, mm-hmm. seeing Willem Dafoe as the sea creature. Mm-hmm. The tentacles. The tentacles. Um, so all that, I realized it, that I, I, I felt so much more affected than I would be is if, um, then if the movie had just been like, this is for sure what's happening because that ambiguity, it, it makes it so like, um, for whatever, there, there's less disassociation for me when I'm watching it because when it's clear cut, I'm able to go, oh, this is just a movie I'm watching, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. This is happening in this movie. But uh, something about that extra layer of not being sure, like, what's up and what's down anymore, it just made me feel that much more, this 
because I don't know if this is real, it could be real that much more. Yeah. I there the this type of movie is is sort of some of my favorite style of thing specific to what you're saying. The the what the fuck is going on ambiguity, but also cased in these really, really specific thematic ideas. Yeah. Is is so pleasing to me for some reason because it almost is a mystery, mm-hmm. which I love. Like I love a mystery, but it's it's a it's like a it's a trip, right? Like we're going on this this person's yeah. sort of journey, and it doesn't matter what's real in a way because we're experiencing the world with them, and that's what we're doing all the time, right? As right. humans, right? If we didn't have other people to be like, are you hearing what I'm saying and acknowledging it? What's the difference between that expression and the thoughts in your head? Yeah. Like, is what I'm seeing, quote unquote, real versus the thing I just imagined? It's like, it's all, it's all fucking real. It drives drives me crazy. (laughs) You just remind me when you ask someone a question and it's like, you don't even get a like, oh, just give me a sec. They'll just like ignore you for like seven seconds. (laughs) You know, it just like, it makes me feel that kind of just intense loneliness and insanity. Oh Um, man. So, okay. But like that's so, since that was my head state Mm -hmm. where I'm just so susceptible to the horrors and what's what's happening or not happening like like okay the mermaid i felt just appropriately terrified so this guy robert eggers he just it's just like he's got this bag of tricks now i want to say <laughs> where sure. like in the witch one of the more affecting moments it was like the exact same with the first appearance of the mermaid where it's like you have the womanly presence of questionable or ill intent emerging from the distance mm. and like walking closer in the case of the mermaid of this, you know, was swimming closer and closer. And then just as you're like starting to get under its spell and like, this isn't right. It cuts and you're, you know, you need somewhere else, but that was, (laughs) I love that. But then even, you know, then, then when it subsequently showed up in uh, tentacles were going and it screamed and all that, but Tim Winnick, like, Oh, that was great. But like, especially just when Willem Dafoe showed him as a sea creature, I just felt so <laughs> unnerved. Yeah. Like that was, I don't Bar- know. well, that's because barnacles are fucking gross. Right. But- and, and things of the sea are unnatural to us. That's yeah. a really important thing, right? Like that's why there's this whole world of it's of, unfamiliar it's right. that it's that they're natural in the sorry sorry you know. no no go on yeah they're, you're, they're you're natural what i'm saying they're natural in the sense of they are like um they are real world they're rock babies they're organic yet they're so just different and unfamiliar to us but it was also just his expression of him laughing it was just that kind of horror of having no no certainty as to what they felt about you except you you got the sense that it was they do not mean you well yeah that's the scariest thing to have sort of communicated at you viscerally is i don't care one way or another about you and willem dafoe just lying there that's because that's because ephraim is not of the sea Mm -hmm. like specifically over and over that sort of reinforced that this is not his world Mm -hmm. and yet he's totally under the spell of it 
Yeah. But he does like he's not he shouldn't be there. He doesn't know what it's like to be on the sea. Like he doesn't know the like he kind of intellectually knows the lore, mm-hmm. but he doesn't know the life. <laughs> yeah. And that's a big thing. And so all these all these um symbols for the sea are foreign to him mm-hmm. and he keeps fucking it up and even in his quote unquote whether whether you think they're dreams or they're real or fantasies or whatever even those are sort of perversions within his mind like the the mermaid is should be this this sort of beautiful like thing that you, you if you saw a mermaid you'd be go under its spell and and you know It'd be this wonderful experience, and yet it's flipping on him, where it starts screaming in his face. Right? It's I don't sort know. Of I always, the, I always saw them the as siren. You know? Yeah, I always saw them as no, the sirens in that sense of how I understood but, the folk tales was that they are always sinister. But or yeah, scary. but that's what I'm saying is that he fantasizes about them, and then he's got it wrong. Mm. Right? When it's when he's sort oh of, right because he has the little statue he right. finds. Yeah. So he's he's removed from it. And doesn't know the the reality, and then when he's faced with the rea- quote unquote reality, it's he's like, oh fuck, it's not what I thought it would be, right? I mean, which is <laughs> which is sort of sim- sim- symptomatic of the whole fucking movie, right? right. Everything he thought would be in, in, in this job is not. I mean, it was I. It's horrible. Like, I get it. I told you. Like, I I wouldn't last very long if the siren was the bad guy, or because because it's like you you get it where yeah. it's like all of a sudden he's you you see him once he goes through like knowing what it is. He's still like that has sex with it. Like that's he's, right. Yeah. He's like, well, I'm. It's not. It's maybe horrifying, but it's uh, it's kind of a woman, and it's uh, not going to kill me. <laughs> well, that's just. Oh man, it's I'm like gonna shoot into a million different directions. Well, also, just yeah. Do you want to pick one of them? I think that that one that is, you know, there's a broad, there's a bunch of really broad thematic things that are reinforced over and over and over again. There's a bunch of them, so it's almost like holy fuck. How do you even like where do you start? But that one in particular really is, and and this is shown in in various ways, like kind of on the spectrum of like good to bad or or what moral to immoral or what perverse to not perverse or whatever you want to call it whatever the scale is but like the desire thing the de- the theme of what it means to desire something or to resist your desires is really important because there's guilt in like imp- inherently involved in desire and how you deal with desire Mm -hmm. so like you could put this up against so many of the things that go on in this movie and so many of the the story points right like or character points like Ephraim wanted to kill the other tom uh not tom uh was his name shit the the dude the blonde dude who he was logging with who he let die on the river Uh uh-huh during the log jam I can't remember his name. Um, I so mean, I forget that. The, so that. Oh, oh, you mean like the name of the person he takes was Thomas Howard. Oh, so right. That's right. Yeah. No. So that guy's name was Ephraim. He oh, right, stole right, his so, name. Right, so, right. So, okay. So that's why it gets. Robert it, Pattinson is actually. It definitely gets confusing. 
who we've been talking about as Ephraim is actually Thomas Howard. Right. That's why I thought also... I know. I, know. I thought we should stick to using their last names. <laughs> I know. It's fucking... It's confusing. Because I... In, in all this prep, I was thinking Wake and Winslow. Wake and Winslow. <laughs> right. Right. No, that's probably good. So, but... Winslow let a guy that he wanted to kill, that he had the desire to kill and resisted that desire... He let that guy drown and get caught in the logjam. And he's standing on this principle of like, well, I didn't kill him, but I didn't stop him from dying. I mean, that's one and that, that yeah. the, So to me, one of the bigger, bigger, like through line themes for, for Winslow's character is that idea of desire and guilt and, and the shame that's around that. I mean, I guess it's all of these things. But it all kind of stems from the root of desire and what you resist and what you don't resist. Yeah. Well, I mean, that and yeah. it's constant, like everything <laughs> that goes on in, in the movie is a reflection of for, for Patterson, for that character is reflected in that. Like those things are his every act he does is an expression of guilt or desire or shame revolving around the same few things. Right. Do I do what I'm supposed to do or should I, you know, give in to my desires? Well, it's that, should I do what I'm supposed to do or do nothing almost? That's, right. that's why it's such a, I mean, how you just laid it out. That's made me realize I connect to it in this whole other level is that that guilt and shame where we feel like that can only come from when you get in the trap where it's like, Oh, well that only comes from when I do things that are wrong. But then you realize that your experience, oh, wait, inaction is can be count as doing something wrong. And that's that's just a personal, like, I don't know, horror trigger thing for and, me. I don't know. And exactly. And that's all of Willem Dafoe's character is telling him that. Yeah. Don't and, you can't be inactive because that's that's bad. Right. And he's Jocelyn. He's like either he's like, take a drink. Come on, drink with me. And he's like, come on, keep dancing. Keep dancing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is constantly reinforced. It's so brilliant that it's like hard to even like you could go through the script and every moment is pointing at this. But that doesn't mean that that's like what the movie's about. Like it's a there's a billion fucking things going on. Yeah. But that's a very core element for sure of Patterson's character Mm -hmm. without question. And I think the lighthouse symbolism is really really you know the the amazing backdrop to that thing because you know to be really wrote about it it's avoiding having a light shined on the thing that he doesn't want to fucking look at because it's and pure you, you could you could tie that 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 energy is pure extroversion is when you can't look at something which <laughs> is how i connect it to in robert eggers all the times he summarized what the film is he was oh it's about two people blah, 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 inside of a giant phallus <laughs> <laughs> okay fair enough <laughs> yeah god i mean yeah it's it's kind of i think that if it, it kind of freaks me out because we've talked about this before where we can pick it apart. Good art can be picked apart endlessly. Yeah. And then you think about the in, the actual intention and how much of what we are getting from the art was intended or even thought about by the artist. And I don't know. Sometimes it is. Or 
Or it's literally just what he says. He's like, yeah, it's just a movie about two guys in a phallus. <laughs> right? And that's all he focused on. Right. But because he's so well-versed in all of these different things, storytelling, no, and, and yeah. it's just in him because he's absorbed it from all of the stuff he's done or researched or learned or whatever – that it comes out. No, I can confirm he definitely wants things to be open to interpretation and prefers. That's cool. Those kinds of films. And everything you also said is also true as far as absorbing and regurgitating. Yeah. And So to me, and maybe this is my sort of way of kind of wrapping up the broader stuff, that these these bigger themes like desire and guilt and and what it means to be sane and what it means to be connected to somebody or to be isolated they're all kind of the two sides of of these series of coins or doubloons or whatever you want to call them and the 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 next sort of category so those sort of topics lay on top of the movie for me and then the next thing down is things like in terms of storytelling like f how you tell a fable or like what it me what sins what sin means in fables mm. or fantasies and dreams and all of that stuff is like the next layer of this movie <laughs> yeah. and so all of the symbolism all of these these storytelling sort of images is the next big thing where i'm like holy fuck there's so much of that too so, so to broach that then like when you speak interest, well what does a fable leave you with we'll leave you on it's the end moment right so what do you make of uh him getting picked apart in one eye by a seagull by the way i didn't realize this but i read in the wikipedia that the seagull that he kills is a one-eyed seagull it's the one-eyed seagull what do you mean but i didn't know that it was a one-eyed seagull it's the same one. It's it's a character. It's one eye. But I when did it, when is that ever stated in the movie? Or are we just supposed to see that it only has one eye? Yeah, we just keep seeing it, it's the same seagull. I knew it's the same seagull, but I didn't know that that seagull only had one eye. I guess that's what I'm saying. Oh, you just I missed, just didn't. Yeah, just I didn't. didn't it. it didn't. I, maybe I was looking at its beak the I whole mean, time. I mean, yeah, I didn't yeah. Realize it had only one eye, which is so fucking cool no seagulls it, yeah because it is like a fucking it's like a sailor with a patch yeah like all of those things i love all that shit i mean as soon as i got the like you know the the ending as far as you know again take a drink existential horror being trapped in a loop almost i mean i just my favorite read that i like to go to is somehow he's you know that soul that is in the seagull and that's uh oh man like it's a loop He's killing himself. Right. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's my favorite. But that's take just on it, it, man. There's so you could fucking. Well, yeah. What there's you, so much. That's exactly what you said. Where it was like you love also when things are mystery and it's like any take is not going to be necessarily an incorrect one. It's right. My take on the final final image. Oh man. I mean, everything leading up to kind of what I'd just said about like seeing the light so to speak in that very rote kind of metaphorical way of him getting up to see the thing that he's been desiring and having it be too much it breaks his brain right the the final image of him laying in the rocks blood and shit covered bird shit covered and being pecked apart so emaciated too yeah is 
is kind of just to me like just desserts for his actions. It's like I'm trying to think of I, I I'm sure in literature there is a like a a, a, a no, I'd say like easy what, comparison how, no, to make, uh, but like that's what he deserved. It's how make. you're describing it. I mean, that was my immediate takeaway where it was just a perfect little yep. You know, is this it was just like the natural ending. As mm-hmm. you said, it was a just desserts. I mean, I wasn't sitting there going like, Oh my god, it's him and he's wrapping the loot. That was only on kind of Sure, sure. Oh wait, he did only have one. But I'm but there's there's definitely I don't know. There's something uh, maybe it's just that the Im- I, it's, it's the a, image feels familiar to me, well, and that's weird. It's an especially karmic just desserts as far as it's sure. seagulls killing him. Sure. But, like, him laying prone in that sort of – it feels like a piece of artwork from, like, mm, like sort of renaissance area era, era. But I don't know what that would be. <laughs> but I bet you there's some fucking – you know, painting about the sea. Yeah, it was actually, it was, I'll, I, I don't have this in a thing of note, so I don't mind jumping ahead to this. But in one of the interviews I was watching, I spent all morning just watching really? the nice. press interviews and stuff. <laughs> um, but the interviewer was like, I, I think he said, I heard somewhere Robert Eggers talking to Robert Eggers. Where he, was, he was saying about how his films, they're like, the intention almost was to make you feel like or, or someone's take on it was that you, it's like you're, when you see a lot of the imagery, it feels like a memory mm. that you've had, but yet it's of a time you didn't live in. And mm-hmm. so the reviewer's like, well, how's that even possible? And he said, you know what? I feel, I feel that exactly when I see your movies. I feel like it's some sign of, and then. Um, well, I, have, I mean, I have a theory about. I mean, part of why that is in this movie in particular. I mean, Robert Eggers is super, I mean, he's, I won't say he's super into it, but he said he's definitely well-versed in ideas of collective consciousness. Um, So that's where my mind goes to. Dude, that image of when, when Patterson is having the sort of Pattinson, Pattinson, whatever is having his little meltdown and he's in a dream sequence of his own where he's, I forget the moment right before this, but he climbs up to the, the lighthouse and he sees a body laying there on the uh, the outer um catwalk thing or whatever you would call that and he turns him over and it's him it's himself oh, yeah and then he gets grabbed and turns around and it's naked willem defoe with the lighthouse oh light God, coming dude. out of his eyes Dang, and that, shining that on so him that was so cool that was so cool tim <laughs> And then they're not on the scaffolding or whatever you call it, the railing anymore. They're just down on the rocks for that shot. Yeah. It's it's mind bendingly amazing. It was that was that was one of the best parts. Like Willem Dafoe, it just like all like standing there, like Poseidon, exactly. just eyes gleaming. That's right. Oh and like the, the the light, his eyes being the light that's shining into Pattinson's face is so broadly symbolically amazing. Right. Because it just says without you don't have to really even pick it apart. It just says everything you need it to say in this one image. And that's what I mean, where it's like this imagery is it feels like it's some famous fucking thing that we've seen before, but it's not. Yeah. I mean, at this for me, it's like I wasn't even thinking. Of, I as well, like you just heard me exclaim. I'm like, this is cool. This is the coolest yeah. thing ever. <laughs> you know, <But laughs> that imagery. 
I think that Eggers must be just so either geniusly just in 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 and of his self and his how he sees things or has been has has dived so deeply into art history and like film history and like that all of this imagery is just already sort of embedded in him and he knows how to put pull those things that the greatness of all the that stuff that has come before right. us and I create a new thing i absolutely get the sense that he has done that i mean he was working in the theater like a, kind of as a designer art director mm. before too but uh i'll also say mention the things of note um as a tease he's also very well researched i believe in a more uh esoteric uh interesting uh, area Ooh, <laughs> cool <laughs> Which I think uh, is sort of the like because there's I mean we're we're all those kinds of you know fans of and, yeah. of, of things like that so um, well this but, is... there, but sometimes it just takes that little bit of uh, I think off the uh, esoteric thinking to kind of give that little bit of y- y- you got to be a little open to magic to yep. yeah. to sort of show that to right. to, to conjure that in, right, in right. magic terms oh shit. Um, so this is my it, my way of leading us into talking more about specific shot composition. How is shot? And I think first and foremost, you have to just make note of the fact that it's shot in four three, so it's it's a box. It's not a yeah. rectangle, right? I think it might even be a little tighter than it four might, three. I forget might, what it well, was. Well, yeah. Called. What was what was film? Old film was. I mean, whatever. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm my friend, my Forget. the the uh, cinematographer that I work with, and I were talking about this the other day, and how the innovation of film, you know, as it progressed, and like the mechanism of film cameras, and all of the shit that they did to try and just figure out new ways and better ways to do it it's just so fucking cool <laughs> it's such a cool time yeah. to think about like ideas like turning the fucking film or like like increasing the shutter speed and the and the gate size in the camera so that smaller portions of the film stock are captured per frame so that you can have a wider image like this is mo- mocking the 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 style that was previous to some of those yeah. innovations well as the director says it's not just that um it's not just making it it, it is making it old-timey but in addition that that aspect ratio it's as perfect for shooting a lighthouse and two gaunt yeah. faces yeah <laughs> you know, hell yeah tall what i just like as far as the black and white too I mean, I'm more and more just becoming a fan of black and white when you're using either, you know, fantasy or supernatural mm-hmm. elements. Mm-hmm. It just makes it come that much more alive yeah. in a way. Like, I, I'm much more a big fan of the Fury Road sure. uh, black and chrome. Right. Like, right. that's when I really sank into the world for the first time. So, again, when it was the tentacles and Willem yeah. Dafoe barnacle man, I just <laughs> got, like, so shook up because it seemed that much realer thanks to the black and white. Yeah. The first shot that I really, I mean, how it was shot, how it was shot Uh, grabbed me from the beginning. But I remember one shot that's jumping up to me now. That's probably one of the more major shots as executed was when it um, like the camera goes up alongside the lighthouse all the way to the top. It's an amazing shot. That was cool. Because it's, it's, it has, 
three points of access on it. It starts in a, it starts in like a two shot of them. Um, and then it pans and dollies left in both of those axes all the way to the lighthouse and then goes straight up along the side of the lighthouse. And it's just like, <laughs> it's so fucking trippy. And like it feels both times I, I did see that shot both times I watched it. Um, and the second time I was looking to see if there was a trick in it, like a cut or sort of some sort of. No, man, it's, it's 2019. Dude, we it's can do so it. It's so fucking cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you have any it's more? It's so perfect. I have other moments I wanted to bring up, but any other shots for you? I, yeah. So a lot of what I, my big takeaway was without being a, an expert in this, but there are so many shots and cuts that are at minimum, um, they are, how do you put this? They, they, they feel like they are direct references to um, films of the twenties and thirties that I've seen a lot of Buster Keaton stuff, a lot of Chaplin stuff, uh, and a lot of, uh, Bergman stuff. And like, so a couple specifics and I, you know, like I'd have to go back and really go deep into trying to see if the, how close they actually are, but the impact of them made me go, Oh, I've, I've seen this, but just in that other movie, um, also, all those movies are the same aspect ratio, so I think there's something to all of that. Um, one of the opening shots, when we cut from the wide of the lighthouse to the close-up of the front of the boat in the water. So is, violent and it's extreme. amazing. But I'm, I feel like that shot is super, super similar. Maybe it's the lens that they're using, all of the above, whatever, to in, I think it's the general... Um, which is a Buster Keaton movie, and they cut really hard to the front of the locomotive going yeah. down the tracks. <laughs> and it's like the same jarring, loud fucking, like, right in the face of this moving thing that's sort of symmetrical like that. It's stuff like that. Um, the uh, When Ephraim is... Cl we don't see this, but we see the, the horn. Um, what's it called? <laughs> The foghorn? The foghorn, thank you. We see the foghorn and you kind of, you don't quite have a sense of scale when you first see it. And then Ephraim like pops his head out of it and we're in profile and he's super small. It's like you go, holy shit, this thing is huge. I swear I've seen that shot. I don't know if it's from like a Chaplin movie when he comes out of like the wait sorry so are you just saying because these shots you the, felt you had seen them before they worked for you i'm not sure yeah i mean essentially what i'm saying is the the vibe of these shots is harkens back to the vibe of very sort of famous or impactful shots from that era of filmmaking mm. and there's something that, like the, the thing that works for me about it is the feeling that it gives me because i'm like oh yeah this is that era of filmmaking. It's it, to me, it almost felt like we were watching a movie from that time. Well, that for me, it's like it's smart in the way because I feel like so much modern film, like there's yeah, so many great movies being made still, but it's, there's something. Di I mean, I mean, maybe you could back me up on this, but like 
felt like films back then, they weren't so afraid of pretense. Like now I feel like just as a society, we're so afraid of like taking things seriously. Hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Like, like as if we'll, we'll identify with it too much if it's someone else doesn't like it or every, and then when something is great, it is the, the most amazing thing ever right, immediately. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like back then it was like, no, we are, I don't know. We are allowed to like, maybe it's more people were generally, you know, religious or spiritual. And we've kind of had a, a, a crisis in that sense in Western society of like feeling like we only are allowed to be cynical mm -hmm. and, um, you know, <laughs> in right. that sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lack of cynicism in it, it feels. Yeah. So, so just like to by. I don't know. And it's interesting how film maybe helps out in that sense, because, you know, that allows us maybe a more safer space to be to, like, you know, the example of this film. Oh, this this film I saw way long ago was super impactful on me. I believe films can have this much impact, mm -hmm. let alone, you know, just a shot in a film yeah. and imagery. So I believe in going for it like you have right. to. That's the thing with films, too. Like you can't half asset like even i think that's the other thing too of what we're afraid of we're afraid of, like more and more today to give things our all so we just sort of like half do it yeah you know but we know i mean all the all the sage advice out there like <laughs> right. all the quotes out there it's like no if you're gonna do something do it right yeah and that can mean doing it right like i just said uh having to give something pretense which we use the word pretension pretentious mm -hmm. as a negative now <laughs> right right when it's my favorite thing is like <laughs> yeah like <laughs> how extreme this movie was you know it's like i'm all about that yeah i mean it, it, it almost would be it would be just silly f to go through like the whole movie is a, a incredibly like incredibly shot thing so it's like hard to even I, I'm like thinking just now as you're saying all of this, it's like every moment that I'm like, I mean, oh, and this and this yeah, and this general forever. things of how it was shot that just I loved was whenever they were like walking through the fog and like how the sky looked, how it was just so grainy mm -hmm. and the way they kind of like were enmeshed with the fog. Yeah, oh, I love that. There are tracking shots, dude, when Willem Dafoe is chasing him across this weird landscape that we hadn't seen yet. It's almost a beach. It feels actually like a tracking shot from how the West or all quiet on the Western front. I'm like, it's stuff like that where I'm like, holy, f f where are we? <laughs> and it looks amazing. The way he like the speed of it, the way he's limping. He's got sort of his weird stiff leg thing. And oh, yeah, just I mean, the whole fucking thing is just kind of frame to frame. Amazing to look at. Which I, it makes me go, how the fuck do you do that? But I think you just, you know, just make all you're the just doing it. You just make all the <laughs> elements right. And then that's when, oh my that's God. when it happens. Any, any time they're in the fucking lighthouse and the way the, the inside of the tower is lit is f fucking like mind boggling to me. <laughs> yeah. It feels very much like some of the stuff we watch, like Black Cat, like of that era, that gothic sort of early universal uh, horror era. Um, part of that's just because it's black and white and mm -hmm. because it's 
inside of a castle, essentially. Well, it's playing with shadows that bring right. the attention that's brought to that. But dude, there's a shot where there it's early too. I think it may be one of the first shots inside the lighthouse where it's just the camera is looking. Um, how do you describe this? The camera is eye level. And then just goes straight up. So we continue to look perpendicular to the direction the camera is going. And every stair that you see is illuminated because it's illuminated from the top down. And when you're below the stair, it's dark. And the second you cross the threshold of the surface of each stair, it's like a light turns on because you now can see it. And like being in black and white allows you to do stuff like that and have it be so impactful because the contrast is a you know, hundred yeah. percent shit like that. I'm just like, it fucking, what the fuck? Right. It's amazing. I mean, <laughs> it's sort of, you know, the, the two examples I was just um, thinking a lot of quite on recently mm. where it's like, that's an example of if you're going to have color, really use color. Yeah. And this is an example of when you don't have color, that's uh it allows you to draw out the emphasis and all the other elements more. That's yeah. great. Well, and this, and the, just the, the perfection of execution of the, the use of light is extraordinary to mm-hmm. me. There's a shot toward the, I think it's the man. It's not the, I think it's the second to last time. Um, Efren goes up the stairs it's not the final one because he's kind of crawling in the final one um but he's creeping up there maybe it's when he's gonna try and pick the lock um but he's in total darkness you can kind of see uh the rim of his figure uh lit does you know what i mean by that the the he's got a rim (laughs) i'm not gonna remember right now (laughs) doesn't matter but he's his face is in darkness until oh. he hits a certain level, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like it's like a perfect. He hits this perfect little oval of light that we didn't know was there because of how it's shot, and just shit like that. Where I'm like, getting that down, <laughs> you know, like as the crew and like the DP, like and getting it right and perfect. Must have taken a fucking while. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with yeah, with it's black so and good. light, you're it's like you're paying that much more attention to how much is something lit. Yeah. Oh dude, and there are some shots there are a lot of shots where everybody's in darkness, right? Like the figures are in darkness and their faces are in darkness, but like like I said, the rim of light that's sort of cast along the edge of their bodies from behind is just enough to make out their form Mm -hmm. and then stuff behind them is lit in either like really cool washes like or or like um what do you call it like beams of light kind of are going across the background behind them shit like that it's just like (laughs) it really really like talk about wanting to jerk off over something i mean like (laughs) shit (laughs) we're doing plenty of that with this movie here it's okay um well then the whole other dimension aside from how it shot is how it sounded (laughs) like i was (laughs) that first lighthouse blare that you heard in the trailer and then and i'm like of course it was great but then like what got me is the first time we're inside that little cabin of theirs and you just hear their boots on the wood Mm -hmm. i was just like clapping on the inside like honestly i don't have to say much more about the sound other than why i just didn't want to not acknowledge it at least the 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 beauty of 
knowing when to have sound and when not to have sound and when to have like these low frequency rumbles, um, just how effective that stuff is. And then, you know, when the foghorn blares in yeah, and the unrelentingness of it at times, the weather too, the waves, the sound of waves, the sound of rain. Remember when, um, it's so great when the waves bust through their window. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, more, more specific moments I loved, and this really worked with the black and white, was when he opens the, the well or the cistern, mm-hmm. and it's like the dead gulls in it, and you just see this black sludge. Yeah. It was just so... Uh, very, well, it's very great, visceral. too, because the last time we had seen that shot is when he is poured, I guess it would, I don't know what it would be, like lye or something like that to clean out the cistern. Oh, yeah. And it's white, and, and it's in, because of black and white the cloudy swirliness of the lie i'm going to say it's lie i have no idea what it is <laughs> the powder he puts in there in the dark dark water is just fucking cool like it's just a cool i would be like that's a painting that i would put on the <laughs> yeah. wall it's just fucking cool looking and then the next time we see it it's this murky disgusting bird dead mess of feathers yeah. and blood and sludge and grime it's so well cool. something about like what we talked about at the opening credits of Quidon just that um you know that's again was all color and really used the color just as far as mm. swirls yeah. of patterns whatever that is there's something i don't know that sort of opens you up yeah. to the other side i think because <laughs> yeah. it's such a um i don't know i don't know it's something about yeah it's seen nature and patterns like pouring ink into mm-hmm. into something it's just how it's y- you see it you see it trendle t- tendril out yeah God, i don't know there's a more there's a better way to put it what i'm trying or there's an actual way to put <laughs> what i'm trying to say <laughs> um another moment i really really love just because i don't think i'd ever seen this done before granted i don't think i, I haven't actually seen the movie gaslight that we get the term from mm-hmm. but um I had never seen such where someone had committed such immediate gaslighting Dude. where it's like he just goes see something and then Willem Dafoe's all, oh, no, it wasn't that. Or it's, it's been this long. Like, I forget. What was that exactly? There was there's one. There's three very blatant examples of this where it happened just so immediately, though, like where we're just. Yeah. And I God, the last one is the one that is like, like makes your brain just fall apart because well, it's like. He just said, um, fuck, uh, now I, I cannot remember it exactly what it is. But it's like Pat, Pattinson comes in and says, oh, I know what it is. It's after he's been chased with the axe by Willem Dafoe and they get inside and they're sort of having it out. And, and Pattinson is saying, you know, you've, you've, you're fucking crazy and you're, you're ruining me. And then he sort of pleads with him, please don't do that. And he goes, you just fucking, you know, you you took an axe to our lifeboat. Right. And Willem Dafoe goes, you just took an axe to our lifeboat. That's the moment it's I'm like, talking about. <laughs> holy fucking shit. Well, it's like the whole movie we want to kind of be almost a, a part of us always wants to be able to trust Willem Dafoe, <laughs> you know? So just to have him. Dude. Just to have him so blatantly do that, it just, it puts us like what you said, or it's like, 
okay, actually our jumping off point is he's insane or he's just insanely manipulative or psychotic or all the above, most likely all the above. Right. Um, Dude. Yeah. The other two times, I can't remember the first one. The It's fine. It, they're pretty, they're a little more, just minutely more so nuanced. It, it works up to it. Yeah. Holy fuck. It is, it is a really jarring thing to experience. Well, you wonder what if maybe more the gradual gaslighting is, is when he says, um, telling tales of merfolk and the like. It gets you to go... <laughs> I meant to bring this up earlier. There is something really effective about we never have Robert Pattinson going to Willem Dafoe being like, I saw a mermaid, you know? Right. It's, but yet at the same time, so we never quite know does Willem Dafoe's character like it could really easily go as like oh he's seen a mermaid sure. you know like or we think he's just like oh these are just tall tales like that is ambiguous yeah. but um yeah never acknowledged and I think that really was a smart choice if it was a choice yeah. I, I yeah and this sort of gets me into thinking about all of the just the interactions between the two of them that like the intensity of them is amazing like I just I don't even know like <laughs> for example there's a billion examples but for example when when Willem Dafoe says hey I saw you fucking around with the that seagull don't do that it's bad and they have just said what you said the tall tales thing and then Pattinson says again yeah tall tales under his breath and gets slapped across the face by <laughs> Willem Dafoe and then there's this moment <laughs> where he jumps up and he looks like he's going to fucking just pulverize Defoe. And Defoe sees this and d- like he dips his head down and he just starts eating. And it's like eating in that we- his mouth is all fucking weird. Food like falls out of his mouth yeah. in the middle of him sort of saying um, he doesn't really say I'm sorry, but he's sort of like, you know, I'm serious. But, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done that. It's sort of this weird tail between the legs moment Mm -hmm. but dude those things it's just well it's like what you already said that's set up from just having these two kind of extremes of um thought or belief or whatever pit against each other yeah i think the other the other one that really stuck out this second time i watched it because i definitely missed this the first time was when they're drunk in the bedroom it's pretty late in the movie and they're uh oh Patterson says like if I could just I just want a fucking steak if I had a steak if I had a steak I would fuck it and Defoe has this really amazing kind of look on his face of like confusion and like whoa that's okay weird and then he says but don't you like my cooking and Patterson basically says no without yeah. kind of saying it. Wait to kinda... set him off. And that speech that he has is fucking nuts. Yeah. yeah it yeah. is. That's the one where he doesn't blink. On <laughs> Yes. Dude, it is craziness. And ends with fucking Patterson being like, have it your way. I like your cooking. Yeah. Like, it's whatever, man. I was just messing with you. Like, <laughs> chill out. Like, I guess that's all sort of to say, like the writing, the dot. So to the two, I mean, it's everything, but the the writing and the performance of of this very difficult language is unbelievable to me. 
the two those two motherfuckers are out of their minds. The actors? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously so it was it was written by Eggers and his brother? Is that right? Max? Yeah, I forget his name, but yeah, his brother. Um, whew, man, they went for it. Yeah, you're right, Max. Um something just uh, another thought I had just on that tension between mm-hmm. them you're talking about is what got me about it or just I don't know how how general of a thing is this when I like it and other things too but um how any it it represents for me kind of like what you've always said in other episodes like at any given point like we're just that close to like the brink of insanity mm. and I saw that more here in the context of do you choose kind of like is it's either like love or hate you know at any given moment do you choose anger yeah. or like stepping back in terms of like fight or not kind mm-hmm. of thing and just that really got to me where it's kind of like at any given point you see that they can just it's you just i just observed it so closely because it's just two people in a room yeah but i felt like yeah it, it, <laughs> Whereas it was where Winslow, like an example, I remember, I think where Winslow gets Wake to laugh. Do you oh, remember yeah. That? What is that point? Oh, fuck. And it's you just feel like, uh, okay, as um, Wake, uh, Willem Dafoe, is he going to like punch him in the face yeah. here again or scream at him? But there's just something about that horror of that moment where I went, oh, thank goodness he chose laughter yeah. as a response. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <dude. You> know? <laughs> yeah. it really is amazing, you know. So, I mean, I guess it's all kind of to say that, like, watching all of the fucking aspects of a piece of work fire on all cylinders perfectly, maybe not perfectly, but, like, in such a beautiful way is really pretty unusual. I mean, it's not that common. Because, like, you could say, like, between art direction, writing, directing, cinematography, performance, music, soundscape, like, every aspect of this movie is working with each other in, like, such a amazing, like, harmonious it's a, way. It's a testament to taking your time in pre-production is I what bet. I gathered from the <laughs> behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, my last thing yeah. I really wanted to talk about, Tim, was the farts. Okay. <laughs> Something near and dear to my heart. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot more than your heart, too. Um, okay. I'm going to have a... This is this is another take on it. Alternative take. People saying, like, someone's... A friend of me said, oh, you know, it's one of the best fart jokes in recent movies. I was affected way differently from the farts. Hmm. I didn't see them as jokes it felt to me like it was just so utterly true to the character like it was like uh you know willem defoe's the the farty old sea shanty just became like how tim's you know farty tim always <laughs> fart like like it's just that made that much more real like yeah. it was it felt like it was just a strong character choice in the moment like maybe it's a little like you know feel like you have to giggles because Cause that's, Cause that's what we have to do. Funny, sure. But, but it, then at the same time, it was, it wasn't, it was, Oh my God, it's him farting. Woo. You know, it no, wasn't that I'm, I'm at with, all. I'm with you. I had a very different like response to that stuff. It's, it's the same thing as people chewing with their mouth full or, 
or just belching or just being kind of gratuitous as humans Mm -hmm. where it's like they've they either are so incapable of their own self-awareness that it from the outside i i take it as uh i take offense to it in 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 that it's disrespectful to your surroundings and that to what Mm -hmm. you're saying is the character like he is so in his world and his way of viewing the world that he doesn't even have this the modicum of fucking like respect for the things around him and yet his whole character is set on telling this other person how to be yeah you know so like there's this inherent just mind fuck around the character (laughs) well i would have further using farts as a jumping off point for uh for large thinking talking points (laughs) and connect farts to how i think it was actually uh deeply spiritual (laughs) okay Okay. (laughs) in the sense of i see or progressive is maybe a more graspable Mm -hmm. what what i mean where i think like like the comparison i'll make to let's say like racist jokes where where you have people you know who are you know deeply you know still racism is deeply embedded in Mm -hmm. them i think an effective way we've evolved out of being racist at least a part of it i mean it's mostly just through increased empathy overall and ever but there's a certain like purging that Mm. can happen where you know we hear you know like there's whatever racist joke you know cracks up the room however long ago but now we're just kind of like yeah not only is it racist and horrible but it's not funny right you know we're past that yeah and in that getting past the joke we're now you know as generations go by i hopefully less racist you know pass you hope, on yeah. being less like, like you know i could point it out like we're i like think less racist than our grandparents you know we're inherently yeah yeah um so so the having the farts be so matter of fact like that, yeah, you know, I can see the filmmakers, I do think they were just like, oh, it's funny and it's grotesque, but really it does have that effect of like, it made farts not as funny as they always are to me. They became that much. It's like being around you. I've become like numb <laughs> to farts. Hey, you, you know, know, when you're in my house. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'll compare it to the impact, actually, of the showing a toilet for the first time in Psycho. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, oh, you know, God, farts yeah. aren't necessarily taboo, but as far as the yeah. sort of progressing as a culture, like, hey, guys, we all use toilets. Get over it. Yep. Hey, guys, we all fart. Get over it. Yeah. It had that effect. Yeah, and there's a time and a place, but also calm down. Right. <laughs> there's comedic timing. Farts will still, you know, <laughs> right. I think are a long way from not being funny. But I do think it is, uh, I could see, you know, uh, our grandkids just kind of being, you know, like, oh, why do you think farts are so funny? Which people <laughs> right. already are. Right. You know? Yeah. There's a spectrum. That's funny. It's like the tipping point was Tropic Thunder. <laughs> that I don't remember it. The one of the jokes in Tropic Thunder is is Jack Black's character has made a career on like fart humor, yeah, and he himself is like ashamed of that. Oh right, right. And he's like, that's all anybody thinks of me as, <laughs> you know. And it's like, you know. Anyway, um, I'd just like to say if just a a brief rundown of amazing moments. Uh, the seagull being killed 
is fucking awesome. Uh, the the yeah, the masturbation scene is wild, and I think some I just heard that that was like the first scene they shot of Patton, Patters, Pattinson, Pattinson Pattinson, like that was his first scene, <laughs> masturbation scene. Um, the uh, the oh now I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> Shit. I mean when uh when he puts the curse on him. Yes, the curse, the light, the the lighthouse th- uh, eyes thing. Uh, lighthouse eyes thing? Yeah, Defoe being like Poseidon oh. with the eyes. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the tentacle, barnacle, mermaid fight scene thing. Whatever you call that. There you go. Um, and then in particular, leading up to that shot, the 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 crane shot or whatever you want to call it, up the lighthouse, be, him leading Willem Dafoe around as a dog and calling him dog oh after all of the God. like you dog stuff. I forgot. That was so and then good. Putting him in the grave and having Dafoe continue to talk while dirt is getting thrown in his face. Yeah. Holy fuck. And then having him jump in and dig him up as if he might want to save him, but it's just to grab the keys. <laughs> Fucking A, man. <laughs> this movie. I and mean, then, yeah. of course, last but not least, him taking out the fucking the pots of shit. And because the wind has changed and he's used to throwing them in a certain direction, when he throws them, all the shit goes back into his the face. Big Lebowski moment. Yeah. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so good yeah yeah him leading him around as a dog that was great i mean and also i just gotta say like the the not the the climax i'll say that's leading up to not the footnote as you put it of him mm-hmm. dead lying there but um him reacting to opening the fresnel lens you can see that's that's a direct moment from not from but talk about collective consciousness remember you've seen a short that i made is the exact same shot at the end of as they moth doth roth (laughs) yeah 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 like that's that's what i wanted is just that exact like going but i want to see someone's brain breaking yeah but then how he did it with the uh the sound design of like getting distorted that was some twin peaks the return stuff right there like next level that was great it really was great this movie was great and i'm glad i watched it that second time i wish i could have um and i mean i don't i mean you you already kind of heard it i'm sure talking to you listening but uh, their performances were great. I just felt like just had to say yeah. that. And you, him getting the dirt thrown on his face while still speaking. That's what reminded me to say that. Yeah. Well, let's move on. We, c- yeah. we could talk way more. That's the fucking crazy thing. But let's move on to things that did not work. It's not ready yet. It seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. I think the only thing that I can really say is in both viewings, it's, it's, it's circumstantial. I still was, I found myself getting tired 
And so I'm not sure how much of that is just me being tired. Seeing I, it at both, 9 p.m. Both, <laughs> yeah. I mean, both times I watched it was late after I know, a that full was day of work. So, so late. Hard. When just seeing the 8.30 show, I yeah. was like, I was already in a dream state that late yeah. these days. Well, and I chugged that beer before we right, went in. Right, too. I'm like, I can't do that because <laughs> I'll have to go uh, get up and go to the bathroom, too. Um, but I think that's really it is just the the... And not, I don't think that there's a solution. I think you just have to be, you know, ready to sit down for this <laughs> it's movie. It's more like a critique just on how you were at the yeah, time. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Which is a thing did not work. That did not work. I was tired. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing, I mean, this is, I think, kind of movie that will only grow on me, too. Is that This is not. What did I didn't have anything that did, I just wrote, I'll have to get back to you on that <laughs> in my notes. Fair enough. Because, uh, I mean, even I, I kind of see what you mean where, you know, when you're seeing the scenes for the first time, it's just like, I'm only catching like a half of the dialogue. If that yeah. were, but that, that's the thing it, it's going to reward those viewings. And now that we've talked about it and I'm going to be yeah. having this lens through it, pun kind of intended. Um, I'll, I don't know. It's, it's not gonna, I caught quite a few more words. Yeah. The second time. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm way more on board with what the fuck they're right. saying. It's it's not like the second time I see it, I'm not going to be caught up on the word wiki every single time <laughs> I hear it. You know? Right. I mean, I just, I guess I'll just. Oh, we, yeah. I forgot to mention when fucking Pattinson gets axed in the shoulder, oh, too. Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah. Best, best axe chase since The Shining. Jesus. Right? So, I mean, when we don't really have anything for what didn't work, I almost kind of like want to bring up some critiques that i have heard mm. and just kind of oh, yeah. see I'm if interested we refute in that. them sure and uh so a, a friend of ours i won't mention by name but i just talked to him about it and he said um i wasn't as, as taken with it i just kind of wanted more he like wanted more to happen it sounded like or felt like he wanted like an like was expecting oh well where's he said it was exactly what he was expecting like well where's the extra unexpected thing like a monster? It could be anything. Huh. I think... Uh, I guess I can kind of understand that. I feel like, like with a movie that feels so kind of nutso. Right. In, in, in the way that uh, Possession did, it's like we kind of got like the monster mm -hmm. to a certain degree. We got to sort of see the thing. I, I yeah. And so I can see people wanting that. I feel where he's coming from, where I did see it in a... I came out of it like that's exactly that felt for me. It's it's but my reaction, I think I feel what he's feeling. But rather than saying that's what I expected in like a negative way, I say that was exactly what it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like what's an alternative? I think it'd be cool if like a Kraken actually had come out of the sea at the end. But then I'm like, but that's not this movie. Right. Or yeah, exactly. Or like some other twist of like. Or like one of them actually getting away or someone else shows up on the island. Yeah, like, I just feel like it would be, it just doesn't seem right. Yeah. Like maybe something, no, I was going to say something more with like what the discovery in the lighthouse in the light is. But fuck that, dude. The way it, like the, the result that we got is just way better maybe we'll ask him i'm sure maybe he'll be happy to record a critique of exactly what he cool. meant and we could play it on one of our next episodes yeah yeah it's yeah i wonder if i would have i might have felt maybe 
closer to that sentiment if I had only seen it the one time. Well, and even then, though, you missed things, so it's like... Well, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So that would not have been a fair critique. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, whatever, to each his own, I guess. Yeah. But, but, you know, I can't really see a different version that would have made me like it more. Ditto. Hmm. Well, should we do our next section then? Because I got some stuff for that. Yeah. Things of note. This should be interesting. So, I mean, as I said, I just like spent all this morning watching (laughs) interviews and then I read what I could too. Um, So I normally like to credit exactly where things came from, but it's all kind of a a mishmash. But do you have anything or do you want me to just do do my rant? No, no. I mean, I think, yeah, I don't really have anything. Okay. I thought it was fun. In in one of the interviews, Eggers, he um, he described the film as it's grotesque, juvenile and over the top. And those were intentional choices. I liked that. And where he said the witch tried to be subtle, he tried to do the exact opposite here, where the witch was about hiding the camera and mm. here was about, you know, using it as much as possible. Yeah. I just that made me go, oh, yeah. Um, it was, I, I, can I say yeah. to that point, I much, much prefer the style of this movie than The Witch. I I know a lot of people like The Witch. I, I'm I'm still kind of whatever. About right. It. Oh, the the friend I mentioned who had that critique of this film liked The Witch way better. Whatever. Well, there you context go. Context yeah. that means. But honestly, I think yeah, the kind of the filmmaker who, and I think this maybe I might I'd like to think I'm one of them, and it's because it's a lesson I feel like I've been learning too. But maybe the person who has more tendencies to kind of like hold back, it behooves them to actually mm. do more. Mm-hmm. Think of like like Kubrick, you know, sure. or he's, you know, like a um, mild manner, da da da. <laughs> yeah. But um you know, in 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 broad strokes, I'm talking about people. Um but then you look at, you know, the extremity <laughs> of where he goes and similarity with this. Uh it was funny in an interview Willem Dafoe, it sounded like he was trying to make a point to mention that I was that he was wearing false teeth because people like <laughs> didn't didn't know that and he you know for him it's obvious but so he's just kind of letting the record be known that his teeth aren't actually that bad <laughs> i assume both of them had false teeth in okay um okay actually this is something i wanted to bring up when um it was applicable to our discussion earlier remember what you were, like we were saying about the sort of the generational divide mm. almost mm-hmm. of the um someone later in age being like finding peace and meaning behind doing the work in front of them and being more present. Mm-hmm. And then the younger people being more like, yeah, but I want more or right. what, what else we got. Um, that sounded like that was really reflected in their sort of approaches and acting style to the film where Willem Dafoe was all about, like he can, he could rehearse and rehearse and like do, do ever, you know, and, and, and would do it like, full on every time he loved it mm. and like at the end of their one week of rehearsals um you know it's from like nine to seven Wilma Defoe would be all pumped up still by the end even though he was giving it his all and Robert Pattinson's more like didn't really 
you know, it wasn't crazy, but it was always saving it or thinking mm. of like, I'm really going to wait for, uh, for the shoot actually. Like, and then that was also, but that this cool is interesting how they're pointing out that that was reflective, um, in their characters too, where, and that was similar where Willem Dafoe, he talked about like, he, what am I trying to say? Oh yeah. How their characters like Willem Dafoe is the one always like giving it all. And Robert Pattinson is the one kind of receiving it and keeping it yeah. all in. So as far as, if you look at that as like someone throwing their energy on someone, Willem Dafoe said at the end of every day, he just felt like he had a great day and was all set for bed. And Robert Pattinson said he was all worked up and felt like going clubbing, like just needing some kind of release <laughs> as tiring as the days already were. Interesting. Oh, then this was funny too. In that same interview, Pattinson, he said, uh, he's terrified of like dancing in the terms of his said his hell is someone who keeps asking him to dance. <laughs> oh and then talking about too like their approaches were in the week of rehearsal but robert pattinson he like thought they had three weeks of rehearsal in the hotel room and talk about like uh art imitating life of how long has it been i thought that was oh pretty God. funny and then when um when willem dafoe and robert eggers were like hey dude that was actually just a week he was like what <laughs> like no way that was just holy a week. shit um <laughs> yeah. oh god it was cool the uh lighthouse they built was it, it, the, well they built it it was oh, nice. completely I wondered about that. from scratch and it was fully operational too and uh Jesus. the direction for it like it could shine like 15 miles or however much it needed to actually and uh one of the directions for building it was can you make it as tall as possible without it being a hazard you know of yeah. getting winded over or does it say where it was specifically yeah. shot it does. I didn't, I didn't, I'm bad with names, so I didn't even bother writing them down, but like Nova Scotia. Oh, he said it go. was a volcanic. Leaf Erickson Park, <clears throat> Cape Fortune, Nova Scotia. Yeah. He said it was, yeah, cool. volcanic. I thought it was interesting. Um, they were asked what was the most challenging part for a film to each of them. I always think that's an interesting question. And Robert Pattinson, it's one that is the exact kind of thing you wouldn't expect at all. But when you think about it, it makes sense. It was when he was running to see the mermaid. And he said to have to sprint like that over that Dude. rocky terrain. Yeah. He said he had never felt so where just like, like, you know, life, uh, his life was in the hands of just someone else, you know, just having to run and hope he doesn't fall on his face yeah. because of how rocky that terrain was and, and the, the period shoes that he was wearing made it that much I thought difficult. about that a couple times in those shoes specifically. <laughs> I was like, this looks fucking tough. <laughs> and the Willem's answer to most challenging was, uh, he said this a few times, it's not pleasant to be buried alive. And that, No shit. <laughs> <laughs> they they did two takes of that, I believe. And that was um that was shot on day two. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I guess get it out of the way, right? Yeah. So the origin of it was like years ago, um, Robert Eggers' little brother Max, who's I think like five or seven years younger, he's was working on writing a ghost story set at a lighthouse. And it was like, you know, modern set and an actual ghost story. And but he said, like, Robert Eggers asked him how it was going. He said he couldn't really hadn't been figuring it out. So they decided to work on it together. And that's when it evolved into what it was. And it was interesting. Robert Eggers said he just kind of had like started just kind of from a visceral feel place of sort of like feeling like, okay, I had to see these like two dudes black and white in the room with the wood at this lighthouse and he really just built it from that imagery and feel the whole Shit. film yeah 
Um, oh yeah, this will this will be interesting to you, I think, on the technical side. So back, uh, they stopped making. I think it was like in 1950, what they called like an orthochromatic film which is film where it's a stock that it reads ultraviolet light more. So like blemishes can be seen like mm. more clearly and there's not, it doesn't record red light as much. So like red in the face looks a little darker and it also makes blue mm. lighter. So skies will be a lot more stark. So that's why like in old film things that you had, especially a lot of makeup was yeah. to cover the red in the face. Oh shit. Um, so since that film doesn't exist anymore though, they made a custom filter, I guess that, oh. that replicated that okay. for shooting on film. That Very was cool. cool. Um, okay. One thing really gave me pause to like, <laughs> like, I don't know. Was there, was there an animal actions more monitored thing at the end of this film? I wonder, because Maybe I just misread the room in the context of this. But a woman asked, and it seemed like in a joking way, like working with the animals, like were any of them harmed kind of thing. And she kind of said it in a joking way. It was weird. And Willem Dafoe was like, only these two animals as a joke. And then Robert Eggers, that's people were laughing at Willem Dafoe's response. Robert Eggers was just kind of like, uh, next question, please. <laughs> uh oh! <laughs> Did not feel good about that. So that was a real seagull getting smashed. No, that actually was a rubber chicken. <laughs> I figured it was. Yeah, yeah. but so it just gave me. I, I'd, I'd like to know what. Hmm. I'd, I'd like to have that moment clarified. Is all. Hmm. <laughs> um, uh, oh yeah, it was cool. Uh, kind of, it came to be Willem. Kind of uh, Willem, first name base Willem. Uh, <laughs> you guys are buds reached out to Robert Eggers after seeing the witch. He said like, he was just kind of walked into a multiplex to see a movie, saw the witch and was like, I want to meet this dude and Fair. something. That's how it came up. Did you ever see, um, antichrist? With no, him? I want to. <laughs> oh dude. I mean this, I can see Willem Dafoe seeing the witch and being like, this is right up my alley. <laughs> yeah. Based cool. on things like antichrist and, he, uh, Willem Dafoe was, I think maybe a founder of the, um, Worcester group, which is a theater group in, in New York that I saw a nutso fucking production <laughs> at once. Um, but like very much cool. All of those things are kind of in the same yeah. realm. He, he clicked for me more too. I learned actually there's, he's starring in a new Abel Ferrara movie. I didn't know there's a new Abel Ferrara movie, but knowing he wanted to work with a filmmaker like him too. That's cool. All plugs in. Oh, and I mentioned, you know, Robert Eggers building it around the atmosphere of the dinner scene, how that thread continued, how the early origin of the movie um, came together was then he sort of plugged that into an old folklore chi shanty thing where it was like also, though, maybe a true story as they go, where it's based on a story where there's two people named Thomas, mm. an old one and a young one, and the old one dies and the young one goes crazy. Okay. <laughs> that was a big point of inspiration. And then that led him thinking to about identity. And then that led him thinking about, okay, then have a mermaid, a mystery in the Fresnel lens and a foghorn. And then those are the early uh, ingredients to the soup. <laughs> awesome. It was fun to hear uh, 
Willem Dafoe and I'm guessing Robert Pattinson too, they weren't staying in any like nearby hotel or anything. They were staying really close to the location. Willem described it as like his wife was gone. It was just him. He was staying at a little fishing cottage that was close oh to God. the set. So they would just kind of like go to work, then go off on by themselves and stay in this little fishing cottage. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Very much like the lighthouse. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I like, I like this a lot. I think this must have been, I think it was Robert Pattinson talking, but I've never done a movie like this where you were never told to tone it down ever. It provokes, <laughs> a, it provokes a really kind of primal instinct in you when you've got a fire hose in your face and you're kind of like, uh, I don't know, you really rage against it. It's kind of fun. And that's just, again, to talk, sort yeah. of connected to our discussion about pretense and filmmakers like Kubrick. I'm just... Yeah, man, I'm all about the more, you know, Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs> Them doing what they do in this movie. I mean, the luxury of time that you have on a production of this size is just like a dream to me. Mm-hmm. Because like pretty much everything I've ever shot, we really never have time for more than about three takes of any shot. You know, like if you're lucky. You're just, you're on the clock and like, yeah, <laughs> you only have a couple of days to finish it or whatever the, whatever the circumstances are. So the idea that you could sit and really, cause one thing I, I personally just love is working performance with an actor. Like yeah. it's so fun for me. And it's, yeah, you know, when you're short on time, you, you kind of, are, you're like, Hope it's good. <laughs> well, the, the sense that I got was they really did the work in rehearsals of whatever work yeah. that, you know, then goes out the window as soon as you're there right, on the day. Right. But that um, because of the space that they were in, they were like, you know, pretty fixed and they're, they're blocking a lot of the times. But uh, Willem Dafoe, he, he sounded like he really loved that. That helped him is like, oh, yeah, those constraints brought out, you know, more mm-hmm. in a way. Um, and this was in... Uh, uh, Robert, pa- or sorry, Robert Eggers didn't ask me anything on Reddit. And this question was, and this connects to when I said this is the thing I said I'd, I'd reveal at the end as far as an interesting uh, thing about his character. Robert Eggers' characters. The question was, this might be too personal. I understand if you'd rather not discuss it, but could you describe your religious spiritual beliefs or lack thereof? What kind of faith, if any, do you have? How do those beliefs or lack thereof influence your work? Eggers responds, respectfully, I'm going to keep that to myself. But as stated above, another question, folk tales, fairy tales, religion, the occult. These are the things I'm most passionate about, even more than cinema. So combine that with he looks like a warlock. He only wears black. (laughs) He has like a necklace you can see with something holding on. He has multiple rings. This dude is very much into the occult and magic with a K (laughs) is what I've um, inferring from all that. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Yeah. And I have one, the most important one to end it on. I have one more, Tim. Great. Someone asked, were the farts real? Which I thought was ridiculous. Like, wh- why? Like, how would that be? But to my surprise, Willem Dafoe, he looked very coy and then just said, half and half. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> that would be liberating to be on a set where your character character can just let it fly. Yeah, it was funny because then another time someone asked him like, oh, the farts. I don't know why people think. And he's like, oh, no, no. But he's like, oh, but, you know, uh, 
it, they were kind of like pushing him on like um he's like oh but you know i can he kind of said winkingly i could if i needed to <laughs> you know yeah, he's trained he's a tra- <laughs> he's, he's a trained, a trained actor. Actor. <laughs> forget crying on command <laughs> that's the true art of acting if you can fucking fart on command you have you have arrived yeah <laughs> <laughs> Anything else for you? Just observations before we put a... If you didn't know, it won the Cannes Film Festival. I think that's right. No, what it was, was it? Director's Fortnite. Oh, Director's Fortnite. out of competition. Wait, what? What's that mean? It says the... Oh, that... So what does that mean? That's a different thing. Um, cool. I mean, I know, but yeah, but before we close the book, any other thoughts at all? Things you didn't say? Hmm... Hmm. Not really. We Ooh. got to see the lamp, the lantern. Yeah. At uh, at the arc light. The was, actual prop they built. Cool. We'll post a picture on our Instagram. Yeah. I was pretty excited. That um, was cool seeing. No, I think that pretty well covers it, for me at least. Well then, should we move on yeah. to from the lighthouse to our recommendations? Yes. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I have one. What's yours? I watched on Shudder Joe Bob Briggs hosting. Just been watching, you know, horror movies <laughs> pretty exclusively this month rather than half and half like a normal month. Right. Um, I got, I mean, I, I, I kind of figured this film had like a sort of new cult following because the new Beverly was playing it. But Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. <laughs> okay. I've it's, heard of it. It's a just super fun 80s slasher. The story's great. It's like, it's got the slasher elements, but then it also is very um, supernatural in a kind of um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street way of really fun set pieces. And uh, I found it just kind of, if you if you, if you like the vibe, 80s slashers, and you're looking for, okay, yeah, but what's one that'll actually, you know, is good in the sense that they are <laughs> or can <laughs> right. be, that's uh, one that's up there. Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. Check cool. it out. Um, I, I think, you know, based on this movie, I if you haven't seen The Seventh Seal, you should go see oh, it. Oh, yeah. Like, you should see it. It's and, and if you've just watched The Lighthouse, The Seventh Seal will be, I think, quite interesting and pleasing for you. So that's going to be mine. It's, uh, it's Igmar Bergman's um, originally a play, but... He made it into. I watched movie. most of his big ones back in film school, but then, like a few years ago, I started going through just his movies one by one. I didn't get far. I need to just pick up where I left off. They're, you know, they're sometimes a bit of a task. You know, I really liked the, some of the. I think it was Summer with Monica and Summer Interlude were two that just, I don't know, kind of overlap in my memory. But mm-hmm. um, something again, like bringing a lot of pretense to things, I really enjoy of. What's the, case, there's romance. one with, um, Grace Kelly, right? There's a famous one with her. I let's think not, with neither right. of us are, are yeah. experts. I feel like let's just save ourselves. That's the, the other one that I too. remember vaguely, but the, the seventh seal is like, you gotta see that. Cool. Well, it's my turn to pull from the hat. Should I do that? You should. Next week, we will be watching Trench 11. From 2017. Whoa. Something uh, something from World War One or Two, I'm sure. 
one of us got from a list, but I don't know much about it. Mm, I don't either. <laughs> Great. We'll find out about it next week. Maybe there will be Nazis and killings. Well, there better be. Did, have you seen uh, Overlord yet? I have, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I rewatched it again. Oh, nice. So good. <laughs> cool. You liked it, right? I did like it. Great. I wanted more. Yeah. I was like, yeah, give me a sequel. Cool. Um, All right. All right. Well, in the meantime, you can find us at dismemberinghorror.com. Yeah, that's true. You could email us at dismemberinghorror at gmail.com. That means, Tim, we should actually check our emails and respond to that one I, email we've gotten. Oh, How about, can you do, can you do that still? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and yeah, we have an Instagram at dismemberinghorror, a Twitter at dishorrorpod that we don't really use too much. We just link the Instagram there. Yeah. But I encourage you, Tim, to... I know. To do it if you want. I'm trying to, I'm trying to engage more on Twitter just personally it's fun on a, a horror scene you know because yeah. that's can all be friends there so far most of my tweets are to um politicians that i don't like telling them that they're pieces of shit <laughs> <laughs> is that is that a bit good or bad policy do you think if it helps you then great <laughs> put that out there yeah well you know i guess that's it's it liberating right that's it. All right. Well, then, in closing, thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>